Hey everybody, Justin Young here. We're gonna begin with the show, but as we were wrapping everything up, everything was edited. Ron DeSantis leaks that he will officially announce his run in the 2024 Republican primary and his bid to become president of the United States on Twitter in an interview with Elon Musk. So that's why that's not discussed on the show. You know it now. We're going to release the show early because the hype cycle has begun. Doctor was so excited. He wanted to get on the show, right, DB? Yeah, I know. All right, let's go. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Like many late bloomers, the 2024 GOP primary has been awkward, sprouting in weird places, uneven, waiting for the rest of it to catch up. Now, some elements will probably stay the same. We have a pronounced front runner right now. History says that'll probably hold. What about the rest? The growing field vying for attention, money, power. This week, we add two prominent names to the official ranks, Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis. Scott has had a career breakthrough moment. Is he executive material? Up until now, he's been a consummate senator, someone who you could imagine as majority leader one day once Mitch McConnell returns to his old Kentucky home. But president? Vice president, a cabinet position, governor? Can he make the people love him like that? If he can, some believe he represents an electoral cheat code. A viable black Republican that can materially affect the Democratic hold on that demographic's vote could not just be an overperformer, but an out-and-out coalition breaker. And yet, Tim Scott's the second fiddle this week. Because the sounds are coming from Florida. Across the Everglades, in the landscape of liberal America's new Mordor, there is Ron DeSantis beginning to roll out what he hopes is a fundamental game changer to this race. His plan to win the presidency. And, brother, it better be good because the man is in a hole. His top hole earlier this year was in the 30s, within 10% of the leading Trump. And now, he's within spitball distance of Mike Pence at 19%. But, as the DeSantis team might say, that was before. That was rope-a-dope. Now is when it starts. We're going to break down Tim Scott's theory of the case, and we're going to preview Ron DeSantis' big debut with our friend and insider, Kimberly Leonard. The primary is growing up before our very eyes. Isn't it special? For Dog and Pony Show Audio, I'm Justin Robert Young, and this is Politics, Politics, Politics. We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land where it is absolutely possible for a kid raised in poverty, in a single-parent household, in a small apartment, to one day serve in the people's house, and maybe even the White House. That was Tim Scott in South Carolina yesterday, officially throwing his hat into the ring for the presidency of the United States. You know, it's been interesting to read some of the reactions to his candidacy and the speech specifically. I don't think Tim has much of a shot. He was a top draft pick in our terrible candidate fantasy draft a few weeks ago. But his theory of the case looks a little something like this. We are assuming that the suburbs who doomed Trump in 2020 are an 
early indicator of the party as a whole and not an outlier. So that's key. We are assuming that the rest of the Republican electorate is going to be more like the suburbs. That's that's what you're that's what you're thinking of. Number two, mix in the idea that a stoic Southern leadership stayed in presentation, but bold in action like Brian Kemp is what America wants. And then, of course, there's the black of it all. Republican candidates have done better with the black vote recently, but that better is going from 6% to 8%. A material jump in that number, let's say to 20%, could be devastating to Democrats nationwide. A leg of their table chopped off. Joe Biden and the radical left are attacking every single rung of the ladder that helped me climb. And that's why I'm announcing today that I'm running for president of the United States of America. So how much do I buy that? Uh, oh, for three, if I'm being totally honest. First, I don't know how you could look at the political survivability of Donald Trump and not understand him to be a modern Reagan or Clinton type figure amongst his base, at least, if not the Republican Party as a plurality. They're not looking for anything else. They want the original formula, even if they find a hair on the lid of the can. They are able to write it off because Donald Trump is singularly that dude. Can you win some of them away from him? Yeah, I I do think that that's possible. But the idea that there is a large part of the Republican Party that is actively looking away from Trump or believes that a person who's not named Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis has a shot to win? Well, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And up till this point, I haven't seen it. Now, Tim Scott's poll numbers dramatically shoot up, then maybe we'll revisit it. But right now, I don't think so. Second, if the lane for a Brian Kemp was so clear, then Brian Kemp would be running for president. In fact, a more famous stoic warrior-style candidate is probably a week or two away from announcing himself in Mike Pence. And there might be another one that's close to announcing that we're going to get to in the update. The meta of the modern campaign, in my opinion, has changed. Centering yourself in the narrative matters. In fact, in terms of your media strategy, it might be the most important thing that you can do. Maybe one day Republican voters will return to the mold of not wanting to talk about politics beyond listening to talk radio, but I don't think it's now in 2024. Until then, the volume is going to be pumping and candidates like Trump and DeSantis, who are very good at making themselves the center of attention, We'll get all the headlines. You want proof? I'll give you proof. You want proof? Here's Donald Trump centering himself and DeSantis in a truth social post about Tim Scott announcing, quote, good luck to Senator Tim Scott in entering the Republican primary race. It's rapidly loading up with lots of people. And Tim is a big step up from Ron DeSanctimonious, who's totally unelectable. I got Opportunity Zones done with Tim, a big deal that has been highly successful. Good luck, Tim. By the way, Tim Scott listed Opportunity Zones as his number one legislative achievement and said that should he be elected president, he would do Opportunity Zones too. Amazing and adorable that whenever a... Senator runs for president. They always want to believe that the American electorate thinks sequels to laws are something that they care about. 
because they had their names on the laws that initially passed. But not only does that tweet immediately sideline Tim Scott. Good job, buddy. Congratulations for getting in the race. You, you want to know what? You'll go far, you little scamp. Unlike this piece of total garbage that is actually in this race with me. Oh, by the way, I'm taking credit for your biggest achievement. See ya. Thirdly, let's talk about the black folk. There's a good subsect by the National Populist Newsletter written by Ryan Kudersky. He is very pessimistic on the idea that any Republican candidate, even a very well-accomplished black senator like Tim Scott, who's got an amazing story, and his stump speech is going to be something to watch. Look, I I thought that his speech was, was good. He tried not to come off as too scripted. He tried to make it more of an in-the-moment feel. He didn't feel super comfortable doing that, but you got to hope when he gets on the road that that gets a little bit better. He does have an extraordinary story, and you could see folks looking at him in a, well, he's Herman Cain with a legislative record. He's Ben Carson's story, but he's actually served in Congress. And he's got bona fides to him. But still, as Gadersky points out, 20% of the black vote might be a bridge too far for anybody with Republican at the end of their title. Now, can you do structural damage to the Democratic coalition? You know... If Tim Scott miraculously wins the nomination and he's also polling ahead of Biden, he'd probably do better than Trump's 8% in 2020. You could see him getting into double digits, maybe. But 20%, which is what would materially damage the Democratic coalition, seems like wish casting to me right now. But hell, you can't win if you don't play. Welcome to the fight, Tim. You see, when I cut your taxes, they called me a prop. When I refunded the police, they called me a token. When I pushed back on President Biden, they even called me the N-word. I disrupt their narrative. I threaten their control. The truth of my life disrupts their lies. I will proclaim these truths from the highest mountaintop. And I will proclaim these truths in the deepest valley. I will take our message to the boardrooms, but I will also take it to the classrooms. I will take it to a gymnasium filled with friends, but I will also take it to an inner city church filled with skeptics. I have lived the American dream. I hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, endowed by our creator with the right to be free. Our party and our nation are standing at a time for choosing victimhood or victory. Victimhood or victory. Victimhood or victory? Victory! Grievance or greatness? I choose freedom and hope and opportunity. Will you choose it with me? Will you join me as messengers of hope? As missionaries that believe that the strength of our ideas can change our nation again. I will. Let's go. 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 
Let's go! haircut this weekend and before I went and got my haircut I got a cup of coffee at Medici Coffee on South Lamar when I got that coffee you want to know what it cost me this is just a small black coffee $3.25 for 25 cents less than the cup of coffee that I paid for Before I went to go get my hair cut on Sunday afternoon, you could have double the amount of this podcast. And this is when you want it. Because the reaction to whatever happens to Ron DeSantis on Wednesday, the first people that are going to hear about that are the folks on Thursday who get our bonus podcast. You get a bonus podcast on Monday. You get a bonus podcast on Thursday. That means four PX3 episodes per week for only $3 a week. And the only place that you can do that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You also get an ad-free feed of this show for only $1 a week. And if you want your name read at the end of the show, you can also join our Titanic $10 tier for, guess what, 10 bucks a week. And even if you ain't got money, you can be happy... That it exists because it also brings you your update right here on the show. Carrie Lake, the duly elected governor of Arizona, if only in her dreams, says that she has a big announcement on Wednesday. Carrie Lake is one of the most enthusiastic Trump surrogates. It is well rumored that she is going to run for senator in Arizona against Ruben Gallego and Kirsten Cinema. Who knows how that's going to turn. But it's an absolute twisted metal ridiculous car crash. I mean, we don't know if Gallego's ready for prime time. Kirsten Cinema is going to be run a pox on both their houses campaign. Carrie Lake is just Carrie Lake. You know, I think we've seen everything that she's going to do. We've gotten to the end of her bag of tricks. If she couldn't win in what should have been a better environment for Republicans as a woman in 2022, I don't have a lot of high hopes for her in 2024. Let's assume that's what her big announcement is about. Keep an eye out for that on Wednesday. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is reconsidering a bid for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination after earlier taking himself out of the race as polls made former President Donald Trump look increasingly formidable. Top Republican sources tell Axios. Youngkin, who beat former Virginia Governor Terry McCullough for the Old Dominion Governor's Mansion in 2021, is a leading potential future face of the Republican Party. He's Christian, conservative, not as Trumpy as many of the GOP's current stars. And I will add, he would not have gotten that GOP nomination in Virginia if the state party didn't essentially hand it to him so they wouldn't get primaried by more extreme elements of their party. Youngkin told Richmond reporters in April that he was focused on Virginia's legislative races. Quote, look, I didn't write a book. I'm not in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. I am wholly focused on the Commonwealth of Virginia. But a rocky few months of polling for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And maybe we got a little bit of a change of heart. Some powerful GOP donors who won't support Trump but are beginning to be concerned about DeSantis are encouraging Youngkin to jump into the field. A top source close to Youngkin told Axios he's reconsidering. He'd be in his own lane. He's not never Trump, and he's not Trump light. Cool. You've defined yourself as 
not either of the two most popular brands of the Republican Party. A top Virginia GOP strategist told Axios that there are serious discussions happening in re-engaging on the presidential. And a lot of this would kick into high gear when he released the following ad for nothing in particular. It's pretty overwhelming to contemplate the future of America. It's such an honor to be here with proud Americans who carry on President Reagan's cherished legacy. He brought peace by projecting strength at a time when it's easy for us to lose faith, to worry that we are indeed that one generation when freedom becomes extinct. There are lights shining. We can usher in a new era of American values. President Ronald Reagan changed lives, and now it's our turn. A time to choose life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness over oppression and dictatorial rule. The stakes are high, and the consequences couldn't be greater. Sounds pretty presidential to me. I don't, I don't know. I think this is a... It's sitting there. It's waiting. This is a bunch of donors loading a gun. And they're wondering if they're going to have to shoot. Because if Ron DeSantis' polls don't pick up in the next two months, I think you're going to see some. You're going to see some move. Let's talk about the debt ceiling. House leadership from both the Democratic and Republican parties are advising its members to anticipate potential changes to their schedules due to important legislative activities. That could mean staying in session into the Memorial Day weekend or being summoned during recess next week. That situation is underscored by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's warning that the U.S. could indeed reach its debt ceiling by June 1st. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Representative Dean Phillips, a member of the Democratic leadership, stressed the the necessity of flexibility in their schedules to ensure timely action on these urgent issues. Key point of contention is the requirement for members to have a 72-hour window to review legislation before voting. This rule, agreed upon by McCarthy when he became Speaker, could be bypassed, but there is strong demand within both parties to adhere to it for such crucial and potentially extensive legislation. Representative Byron Donalds of Florida from the Freedom Caucus emphasized the importance of giving the American people a chance to review the bill. Meanwhile, after a meeting with President Biden, McCarthy expressed optimism, stating that despite differences, their respective teams are working hard to strike a deal. And... Seems like we're in a bit of a performative phase on the Democratic side. McCarthy making sure to leak that, boy, Biden's really working hard to put in some Medicare stuff about being able to negotiate with drug companies long a progressive priority. Seems a little doth protest too much uh, to these ears. Maybe this is this is just more about giving the progressives a little bit of a bone. So when Biden caves, he doesn't look like he caved so much. He fought, clawed, but maybe I'm misreading. Takepoliticsseriously.com is where you need to go to get bonus episodes of this show. That's all you need is three bucks a week. I can't believe that coffee costs three dollars. Like, I, I've always in my head been like, when I say, oh, it's the price of a cup of coffee, I, I you know, I wasn't for real, but it is. Coffee is out there. A small coffee is out there costing $3. I mean, I'm better than that, literally. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com to find out yourself. Via CNN about Ron DeSantis. Inside the governor's camp, the predominant belief is that people are underestimating DeSantis and the suggestion that he is already damaged by Trump's constant missives 
don't match the enthusiasm that they see at events. Overlooked, they say, is that DeSantis will enter the race from a better position than perhaps any first-time presidential candidate in recent history. He's got a historic sum of cash, more than $100 million. And that figure is expected to grow this week when the governor's fundraisers meet in Miami to begin dialing for dollars. A supportive super PAC is building out an 18-state operation before his launch. He is also remarkably well-known for a candidate at this stage of a presidential cycle. Less than a quarter of registered voters don't already have some opinion about him. You can compare that to two boogeymen that are often brought up as cautionary tales for Ron DeSantis. Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin had less than half of the strong views and former Texas Governor Rick Perry had the same. Now, that's all fine and good. And obviously, the DeSantis team is starting to wind up the band of how they are going to talk to the press and what narrative they are going to create. But here's a narrative that I'm seeing. The man has sunk like a rock for the last few months, all while allegedly trying to burnish his own image. As this is being released Wednesday, DeSantis will, in all likelihood, be a candidate for president, according to the Federal Election Commission. And I'll be pitching big donors to get on board in Miami. Someone who has covered DeSantis very closely is our guest today, Kimberly Leonard of Insider, who joins us right now. Welcome back to the show, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, finally, the week is upon us. We are going to get this 2024 primary on in earnest, and it is going to begin down in Miami in the state that is home to both of the leading contenders as of now. Before we get into DeSantis's rollout here, I, I do want to just set the table in terms of what you understand they understand the the state of play is right now. A few months ago, Real Clear Politics Average had his polling in the 30s. He's released a book, traveled the world, and now he is in, with some polls, the teens. Do, do they understand that, that this is getting a little bit more urgent than maybe it was a few months ago? Yeah, I think definitely. And I think one of the things that really happened was that former President Trump just really benefited from a lot of the different, you know, legal quagmires that he's in, I guess you could say. Um, he sort of had this rally around effect. And on top of that, he really has used the last few months very wisely. His campaign has. They've been attacking DeSantis relentlessly, you know, on everything from his past votes on Social Security and Medicare to uh, getting stories out there about some of his odd social skill uh, abilities or lack thereof. Old uh, pudding fingers uh, has now become right. a, a national political discourse, which lets you know we're in the primary season when we're talking about pudding fingers. Well, I mean, it was, you know, I've heard a lot of, of rumors over, I would say, the last couple of years about um, how he eats, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> there's always this this kind of, you know, fascination with how politicians eat. I remember even with Trump, you know, it was that he liked his steak well done and that was yep. a huge headline and everything. Um, so anyway, they're definitely it's not just that DeSantis got to wait and log lock in all these various conservative legislative victories in Florida, but that Trump sort of made him look unwinnable over the last few weeks. I mean, he really, he had all these Florida, uh, the congressional delegation endorse him. He was able to really climb in the polls and it really, he gave us this sort of sneak peek about what it'll look like if you cross him. And what will change now is that DeSantis has now his opportunity to be a lot more open about how he's thinking about Trump. And I don't know how he'll end up doing it exactly, because if you'll remember the last time that he was more open about it was the Piers Morgan interview and also a press conference he'd done earlier that day where he, you know, sort of said, well, you know, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star yeah. um, when he was asked about the indictment, you know, which really was seen as a dig. Like, well, you know, I'm just a family man. 
Um, and so when he did that and also bashed Trump over the drama, he didn't do well after that. So it was almost as though the more passive aggressive approach that he had taken for months worked better. So I don't know if he's going to revert to that or not. But obviously, when you get on a debate stage, there's no hiding, really. You have to deal with Trump when he's yelling at you, talking over you, calling you names, towering over you. So that's what DeSantis is heading into. Yeah. I mean, uh, also, I, I don't know if those particular examples would not count as passive aggressive, especially considering the the Donald Trump strategy has been aggressive, aggressive. Uh, he is uh, Trump that is congratulating any and everybody that wants to get in this race uh, as as if it's not this mortal wound, except for Ron DeSantis, for whom he has been absolutely hammering. You mentioned the last time you were on that the DeSantis team seemed to see that as more of a rally around the uh, rally around the flag, for lack of a better term, effect for Trump when it came to the legal stuff. But do they seem to do do they wrap wrap their head around the idea that also taking three months of devastating political attacks with literally no response might also be factoring into this? Yeah, it could factor into it. And I think a lot of, you know, I do think they were responding. I just think that DeSantis was like he was needling at Trump a lot and taunting him, holding press conferences that put him to the right of Trump right in Palm Beach, you know, near where. Trump lives. Those are the kinds of digs that DeSantis is always kind of doing. Yeah. And I don't, I think it went over some people's heads, you know, and I think that I, I was agree. reporting it. Yeah. I was reporting it and I was putting it out there just because, you know, I think when you're on the ground in Florida and you have to watch all DeSantis's press conferences and all of his campaign events, you notice things, you notice trends and you're like, Oh, hang on. There's, there's some subtext here, you know, and I'm not, I know I'm not reading into it. I know, you know, I've, I've learned how he, he and his team operate. And so it I think that the idea they had was, well, you know, let's run on a bigger agenda in Florida. I don't know whether that was a mistake. A lot of big donors think that it was. And it does seem as though the record that he had before, because he won so heavily in Florida, that that could have potentially been something that even a lot of independents could have embraced. Whereas now you're looking at policies like a six week abortion ban like a don't say gay bill that extends all the way up until eighth grade and then only very limit, very, very limited in the high grades higher than that. So there, it just, it just gets into a more right wing atmosphere that I don't know if it'll work for a Republican primary, especially against Trump, but it does seem like a lot of this could be a killer during a general election. Then again, are we going to be in a recession? Is Biden going to be, uh, you know, more obviously seeming too old for the job against someone who's at the time will be 45? There are all, there are a lot of these other factors, and I guess they're just kind of deciding to focus on the primary for now. Well, I would imagine that for everybody that is going to be gathering in South Florida, that uh, will will be getting the pitch from the DeSantis team as they file their paperwork to run for president would probably want to hear more about what's going to happen over the next nine months than anything that would happen through next summer and into next fall, because any money that is spent on Ron DeSantis has to be done with the full faith that he can beat Donald Trump, or at least give him a run for his money. So, so lay out what this confab is uh, that's going to be happening today as this podcast comes out on Wednesday. Yes, we, and I'm going to be hanging around probably. <laughs> it's closed to the press, but I, whenever I find out about these events, any good journalist knows to just lurk around and see if anyone's going to just hang you know, out, just hang out in the lobby, you know, just get, get a, a get copy a, get of a the coffee, program. chill out. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we love to do. So um, it's going to be in Brickell, which is the financial district in downtown Miami. It's at the Four Seasons and there will be the pitch and then there will be a big fundraising operation that sort of launches everything. My understanding is that he's going to be filing with the FEC on Wednesday, um, but I have a story all ready to go just in case it's earlier than that. <laughs> they, seem <to laughs> really, they seem to really like to take people off guard. So uh, that's that's the the next step. And it becomes official. You know, the, I guess what's happening now is that we've all kind of known he's going to do this. But now it's it's for real. You know what I mean? It's like, OK, that's 
it almost feels like the primary will really start once he gets in. Well, I mean, it, it, it at the very least gives us the other side of an answer of what happens when he now has no other pretext to like fire back at Trump. And, and I guess that the biggest thing that would worry me about a, a DeSantis candidacy of what you've said is the idea that his team thinks that they have been, because that does not seem to be the case, at least in terms of the public record. And certainly if, however, they think they've been firing back, uh, uh, has not been landing with the, the, the polls either in, uh, the you know the the nation at large or, or even in Florida. I mean, now he's starting. He's it, it's showing that he's losing to Trump in Florida, which that that would be the first you know first question I would ask if I were a donor in Miami is, uh, wait, why? How? Right? How are you going to do it? I mean, I think I think I think all the Republicans who lost to Trump would love to know the answer to that, right? Because many many have tried, none have succeeded. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden succeeded, but it was also, you know, he was running as a centrist Democrat and they they just had a lot of similarities in terms of age, you know, and. Um, well, and, and, and COVID, I mean, COVID made that election yeah. so bizarre and, uh, uh, you know, beyond the the uh, narrative for which Donald Trump has taken out of it in terms of irregularities there, there was just. A, a difference of how that election was even handled. Like, like there, there was just a, a, you know, that, that was, that was kind of a bizarro world, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's, that's the crazy thing is if you are, if you are the DeSantis team, you, you, you got to have a pretty good theory of the case. <laughs> like you, mm-hmm. you have, you have to believe that not only are you going to be able to erode Trump support, but you'd be able to do so significantly enough that, if he does not go quietly, which spoiler alert, even in their wildest dreams, he wouldn't, that you would still be able to consolidate power within the Republican Party, which is going to be an uphill battle. It will. And another thing is they probably shouldn't ignore the others in the race, you know, even though DeSantis is polling second to Trump and he is a distant second at, at this point, but he's the only one who gets in the double digits really there are plenty of opportunities for these other campaigns to attack him. You know, DeSantis, yes, has gotten a lot of scrutiny because of his COVID policies and many of his other policies in Florida that have been controversial, but there really hasn't been that, you know, giant mighty arm of opposition research that has been, you know, coming out from multiple campaigns in a presidential race, which is just beyond intense that anyone can really imagine. And so if they if they're not ready to fire back at some of the other candidates too, you're going to see a lot of of them reacting to to his messages and to his campaigning and so he'll have to sort of fire on a lot of different cylinders, you know, just because the whole he'll he'll be a target because if you if you take down DeSantis then maybe you can be second to Trump. Which I mean, uh, uh, geez, what 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 an enviable prize to win, considering the fact that uh, uh, it has been the absolute uh, center of his uh, uh, attention lately. I mean, even even you know, uh, Monday, Tim Scott gets into the race. Donald Trump welcomes him in and says, "Oh, he'd be a lot better than Ron DeSanctimonious," which uh, uh, I guess is now growing as a uh, once thought to be pretty uh, subpar nickname for yeah. the governor. He definitely seems to take it a lot more personally that DeSantis is running than that some of these other folks are running. You know, I mean, Tim Scott, just like Nikki Haley, this doesn't get a lot of attention, but he had also said that if Trump ran, that he would not run. Yeah. And now he is running. Um, but Trump, for, for some reason, I don't know if it's that DeSantis is getting a lot of attention. I don't know if it's that DeSantis never really, you know, Trump really did. I, I have to say, I went back and logged all of the campaigns that he, you know, the campaign rallies he went to for DeSantis. And it, there was a, there were a lot. He really showed up for him. He really um, fought to have him become the nominee and to have him become the governor. And so that's probably why there's a sense of kind of betrayal. And I'm not sure that he ever felt like he was given enough credit for the work he put into electing DeSantis. Um, but, you know, that's how things go in politics a lot, right? That people always think um, they deserve a lot more credit or that they are actually responsible for their own rise. 
this back and forth tug of war. And I, I just think it's about to get really, really, um, aggressive I guess you could say. and I and and what I what I also again DeSantis is still such an unknown person whereas with Trump it it's out everything is out there you know yeah. go ahead and and you know what it, what are you going to surface that hasn't already been surfaced we've this we've left no stone unturned when it comes to Trump whereas with DeSantis there's there's plenty to dig up well, sure. Yeah. And, and, and we will see, we actually saw the, the first of uh, some of the, 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 the Casey DeSantis uh, conversation happening, which uh, I believe the first person that I hear, uh, I heard talk about Casey DeSantis on a national sense was you. Uh, uh, I, 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 we saw kind of a very strong pushback on that from, from the DeSantis team and, and their surrogates, but I can only imagine that there's more where that came from as this primary just officially gets underway. Well, I think one of the issues with that story, and I've written about Casey DeSantis a lot, and I've interviewed people close to her, you know, people she grew up with even. So one of the issues is that a lot of the people who are quoted on the record aren't close to the DeSantis operation. And so that doesn't mean that there weren't things being said behind the scenes that weren't similar. Yeah. However, however, it's important to be careful when folks are quoted who aren't as close to it. And to also question, I think, the motives of people who say things like, well, she shouldn't be so involved. She should just fade into the background. I think that there are folks that have a different idea of what a political spouse should look like. <laughs> and, you know, that this isn't a role that is defined, right? Every, every spouse comes to this with sort of their own um, ideas of what it should look like and a lot of heavy scrutiny because of who they're partnered up with. And I'll have a story coming later this week about her because one of the things that they've been doing is that they've been sort of rolling out her story and she's been doing what they're calling these fireside chats with her husband where she will actually interview him. And, you know, for all of the complaining and hand-wringing that was going on in that Politico piece, if you actually talk to people who organized it and who are on the ground, especially women, they really like seeing a strong woman up there. You know, they feel like it's always been more that um, women tend to be more liberal and, and will, and, and so to have that up there and to have this sort of picture perfect family is something that they find really enticing. Will it play? Is it phony? All these are questions that can sort of be, you know, (laughs) hashed out, but the idea that, Casey is universally viewed as someone who's overly involved and shouldn't be is just not the case. I think that if you talk to folks in the orbit, it's pretty well established that her involvement has been an asset to him. And yeah, I, I think it's it's almost straight opposition like talking points, essentially. Like Casey DeSantis is essential to it, Ron's likability, in my opinion. And the kids are, you know, uh, 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 from a political sense only, not to say that they are not real people and real children, but it paints a picture that shows the future as opposed to the past. And that's the entire uh, narrative that he is trying to push. Let, let's let uh, uh, move from Miami to Palm Beach. Let's head up 95 and uh, 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 give me the mood from Mar-a-Lago. Where do they see the beginning of this phase of the primary. I can only imagine that they are pretty confident. Yeah. Well, one of the things I actually wrote about speaking of geography that uh, didn't get a lot of attention, but uh, Trump does not stay at Mar-a-Lago over the summer. He is a snowbird. So he actually will be heading up to Bedminster for the summer. Oh, He's in Jersey now. Yeah. So now there's, it's not that Florida is sort of this, you know, center of the political universe anymore because Mar-a-Lago shuts down after Memorial Day. It gets really hot. There's a lot of seaweed on the beaches. This is, you know, not something that is a year-round operation. And it stays closed until Halloween. So he'll be moving up north, which, you know, obviously means a bunch of big donors will follow. Obviously, there's a bunch of, you know, big donors up in the New York area, which is about 45 miles from his Bedminster Club. And so that will move things a little bit, you know, in terms of just, you know, (laughs) relocating the sort of like GOP brain trust that exists. And I think as well, other candidates who are going to be running in 2024, whether for the Senate or for the U.S. House, who go to, you know, Trump's Bedminster golf course and want his endorsement and also Trump wooing folks at his golf club for for their endorsement. So it's it's kind of this hub that he has created. And, you know, my sense is that, yes, 
they 100% acknowledge that DeSantis is the top rival. You know, they're not going to try to pretend that or anything, and they're going to do whatever they can to take him down. I mean, Trump went so far as to basically insinuate that he was gay and involved with dating minors. Um, There's no evidence of either, but, you know, Trump, that's the thing about going up against Trump, right? He'll just throw these things out there that get a lot of attention, get a lot of eyeballs, and might be 100% false, but that's what you're dealing with when you're when you're trying to take him down. And that that to me is where if the DeSantis team believes that they are going to be able to guide the conversation with subtext, uh, I, I think that they have, you know, uh, hopefully the, the rude awakening that they have gotten over the past few months is enough to disabuse them of that notion, because when the man who's leading by 30 points has zero compunction about floating some 4chan meme that is utter defamation you need to at least have text text <laughs> you know even if you are going to be taking the high road you need to be saying what you mean out loud even if the theory of the case is just donald trump is ineffective and he's an electoral loser you have to go out there and say donald trump is ineffective and he's an electoral loser and not just do it with you know winks and nods and and placards Yeah. And you have to do it eventually on stage while he's standing there shouting and calling you tiny D or something like that. Right. So (laughs) it's, you know, and that's not DeSantis's strength. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. I think, I think that's the biggest thing. If you talk to a lot of reporters, if you talk to a lot of people like, Oh, what's this, what's this debate going to look like? Maybe Trump won't debate. Uh, Maybe that'll help him, (laughs) but uh, you know, DeSantis didn't do that great when he debated Charlie Crist either. He was a little bit caught off guard by a few instances. Um, one of the things that he has gotten pretty good at is when reporters are questioning him and kind of shutting down what they're saying. But that and he does it, you know, by providing evidence and so forth. But dealing with a reporter who's, you know, well sourced and well uh, and understands the issue well versus Trump, who might, you know, do you remember when Hillary Clinton was, when he was debating Hillary Clinton and he just kept on yelling wrong like yeah. that. And I keep thinking about that, you know, so uh, that, that is, that is ha- what he has to contend with. And I think, I think that's one of I, the the most like, Oh, what's going to happen? Well, you know, you, like, you know but, that, like, but that's the thing is that debate, that first debate, that first Fox news debate, which Trump may or may not do is in August. We are in late May now. If he can get to a point where he is buoyed again in the polls, he's back to at least 15% uh, behind Donald Trump, then that will be the victory. That is stage one for him right now. If he can get to a stage with Donald Trump, and especially through the first few debates, they're going to be so loaded with people that it's going to be a while before he would have to go one-on-one. But certainly there will be some trading of paint between the Duke campaigns, but it all begins this week. And I would encourage everybody my, for my money, nobody has more of a pulse on either the DeSantis or Trump campaigns than our guest, Kimberly Leonard of insider. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Kimberly for coming on the show, and we always love it when our guests get a little love, it is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Send me your emails, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find the show on Twitter, px3tweets. Find me on Twitter at Justin R. Young. You can follow me live on the internet when I go live on twitch.tv slash Justin R. Young, or just remember this URL, px3live.com. My fingers, my fingers that once were suggested to be medically inoperable. I could not type anymore. Well, there's been a recovery. Hallelujah. I have a new newsletter out. I actually did a review of Tim Scott's campaign announcement. So if you want it, it's called Tim Scott is Yelling. You can head on over to letter P, letter X, number three, newsletter.com. 
And you can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you'd like to support me in a monetary fashion, let's say with a one-time donation, and you got a little extra in the old PayPal, well, you can send me whatever you'd like, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is px3cash, and you can send anything you would like to me in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, El Paso, Matthew T., John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Bugs Life, Meemeister, Unsafe, DB Level, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, TP4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, Invoke Gloria, Young Pork, King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Select, Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslany, and Bluefront, and the Lanina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot. Middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. You want your name in the show? Only one way to do it. Take politics seriously.com. That wraps it up for us today. We're going to take another look at the debt ceiling fights through history. On Friday, if you want my immediate reaction to the Ron DeSantis announcement, you can find that on our Patreon episode that'll come out on Thursday. Till then, folks. Oh, the content is flowing. So excited. And I'm glad that you've decided to download and listen to a show. Unlike any other. Because some shows talk about politics. And some shows talk about politics. And other shows, man, they talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.